The Sioux City Strangler woke up cold around 6 p.m., despite being wrapped up tightly in the bed covers. On the TV, a man was droning on, reading the news of the day. War, famine, fire, and flood were raging around the world. What was new about that, thought the Sioux City Strangler. Worldwide chaos be damned, he was in a fine mood, despite his run-in with that fucking moron of an office manager. For a second, he thought of pulling a red rope taut around his neck and watching the simpleton's eyes pop out of his skull. He laughed and shook his head. The stupid bastard was lucky he needed that motel room to stay near Maria. He stood up and stretched his arms upward, then bent down to touch his toes. He jogged in place a little, running along with the soldiers on the TV screen. Better you than me, again, he said out loud, another laugh leaving his lips. He looked over at the bed, and across the motel room staring into the mirror. Wearing his best newscaster smile and pretending to straighten his tie, he spoke out loud, addressing the cameramen behind the scenes of his fake set. I wonder how many of these boys will die, Ted. Do you think most of them? Zoom in a little bit. We need to see how many will die. He stared into the mirror without blinking until his cheeks hurt from holding his smile. He took a bow for the fake crowd before stripping down naked and walking into the bathroom. He hummed a Christmas tune as he urinated, waiting on the shower to warm up with the TV still humming in the background. This is the story of the Sioux City Strangler, a man who terrorized the great state of Iowa for nearly 10 years before making his way to California for a little fun in the sun and a fresh crop of citizens to terrorize. I'm your host, Mary Buckley, and you're listening to Sioux City Strangler, the podcast. Dressed in a green wool sweater and brown slacks, the Sioux City Strangler put on a pair of boots and slipped his coat on. Outside, the wind blew hard and snow seemed imminent. He lit a cigarette and got back into his Pontiac, turning the heater on high. He thought of heading back to the bowling alley for another game or two. He could get a burger or a hot dog and some fries, washing it all down with a beer. That sounded like it might make for a good night, he thought to himself. Instead, something told him to head back to the mall, even though he didn't have anything to buy. He certainly wasn't going to have dinner at Harvest House. As he pulled into the lot, he noticed a line of cars parked parallel to the curb, their headlights bright and their hazard lights illuminating the walkway with a strange orange glow. He rolled down the driver's side window to let some smoke out and watched intently from a spot that had just opened up. Kids of all ages were laughing and playing, talking and smiling with big shopping bags and soda cups in their hand. One kid was even eating an ice cream cone despite the fact that it was freezing outside. He watched as kids piled into the cars, sometimes with the assistance of agitated parents practically shoving them into the back seat before driving off. He watched for a few minutes as the same scenario played out over and over again. The line of cars inched forward and slowly thinned out. By 7.30, there were only one or two cars still waiting for their kids to arrive. These cars looked old and the parents inside were always smoking, the windows shut tight and the radio silenced. At 7.40, the Sioux City Strangler dropped a cigarette butt out of the open window and put his machine into gear. He pulled out of the now-quiet parking lot and headed toward the bowling alley. 
As he drove, he kept thinking about the line of cars and the parents and the kids he'd seen at the mall. He wasn't sure why, but it made him feel uneasy. His mother's face flashed in his mind, but he pushed her away and turned up the radio. Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley was almost over. The radio man came on and spoke. That was the one and only Elvis Presley doing, of course, Blue Christmas. I hope all of you aren't blue this year as we approach the big day. Santa's packing his sleigh as we speak and the reindeer resting The Sioux City Strangler slammed his fist against the radio to turn it off. All of a sudden, his Christmas spirit was nowhere to be found. We'll be right back after this word from Whitewood Tactical Clothing and Hunting Apparel. The world seems like it's gone sideways, right? When you're left to fend for yourself, you need gear that's going to keep you and your family safe. That's where Whitewood Tactical Clothing and Hunting Apparel comes in. With true armed forces level gear available on our site and in store, we can help you find everything from tactical pants to military boots and flight suits. We've even got women's and kids sizes so you can find the right stuff for the whole family. Don't forget to check out our selection of hunting gear while you're with us. We've got ultra durable gear for every hunter, whether you're working with a modern rifle or a basic buck knife. Visit Whitewood Tactical Clothing and Hunting Apparel online today to take your readiness to the next level. The Sioux City Strangler walked into the pin spot and nervously lit a cigarette. He was standing by the entrance, just scoping the place out. To his right, there was a dark bar with a couple of pool tables. Waitresses busied themselves getting glasses and balancing pitchers of beer on their trays for the mostly male crowd. A few old-timers sat and sipped at watered-down scotch and sodas, baseball hats glued to their heads. Straight ahead was the main drag of the bowling alley, ultra-bright with thick, heavy smoke hanging in the air. Just to the left was the front desk with the shoes and league rosters positioned behind the attendant. A neon Budweiser sign that he hadn't seen the other day was shining bright now. The attendant saw him standing there scoping the place out and spoke, though the Sioux City Strangler was still closer to the entrance than the desk. "'You want to roll a couple there, pal?' asked the man. He was wearing heavy black glasses and an oddly formal cream-colored blazer. He looked like Buddy Holly might have if he'd lived another 20 years. "'I was thinking about it. Can I get some food on the lanes, or should I eat first? "'Up to you, bud, but you can order right down there.' You might have time to throw a few before we get your food out to you. The Sioux City Strangler scanned the alley, then turned to look over his shoulder at the bar. In there, he asked, cocking his head sideways toward the old-timers still nursing the same drinks. Yes, sir, yes, sir, said the man. Right in there. There's some quiet tables, if that's your thing. It's bigger than it looks. The Sioux City Strangler put his thumb up and headed off toward the bar. I'll be back in a bit. Buddy Holly already had his back turned. Seated at a table at the far corner of the bar, the Sioux City Strangler ordered a cheeseburger with onion rings and a bottle of Budweiser. His beer came and he drank it in silence, watching the waitresses hustle in and out, trying to listen to the anecdotes they were telling each other about the pickup lines getting laid on them down on the lanes. The bowling alley was busy, but it somehow seemed lifeless and dull. Music was playing, but it wasn't loud enough to make anybody feel anything. Instead, it was just more static noise mixed in with the clinking of beer bottles and dozens of balls bouncing down the lanes toward the gutter. When his food finally arrived, his onion rings were ice cold and the burger was overcooked. 
He ordered a second bottle of Budweiser and drank it fast before moving on to a J&B on the rocks. Even that tasted like shit, he thought. But by the time he reached the bottom of the glass, he didn't really care anymore. You don't come to a bowling alley for great grub, he thought to himself. He paid his bill without leaving a tip. Nobody fucking deserved it. Feeling downright loose now, the Sioux City Strangler walked back to the front desk and put his hand up in the air like a student in class waiting for the teacher to call on him. He didn't wait for the guy to turn around to see it, though. All right, buddy, he said, thinking of Buddy Holly. I'm ready to roll. A minute later, the Sioux City Strangler had his shoes and a lane assignment. He lit a cigarette and walked to lane 19, checking out the other bowlers as he went, alternating between a big smile and a cold, hard stare, depending on who he was looking at. The Sioux City Strangler sat down in one of the molded plastic chairs at his lane and swapped out his shoes. He'd worn the wrong socks for bowling, but he didn't care. He stubbed out his cigarette and walked up to the line. As he got ready to roll his first ball, a teenage girl entered his line of vision. She was just to his right at lane 20. She was laughing, and he could see the braces on her teeth. God knows what she was laughing at. He waited until she threw her ball, which of course missed absolutely everything and went into the right gutter before it was even halfway down the lane. She laughed and put her hands in the air and feigned excitement as if she had just rolled a strike instead. The Sioux City Strangler threw his ball next, a big monster 16-pounder that shook the alley as he heaved it down the lane. The pins exploded as the heavy black ball smashed into them, hitting just to the right of the head pin. The girl who had been smiling now watched, this time cheering in earnest for a real strike. As he walked back to his seat to mark his score with an X, the Sioux City Strangler took note of the girl's friends. There was another girl there with her, probably about the same age, 15 or 16, or maybe 17, and still very much in high school. She still had on a bright pink parka over her dark blue jeans. Two boys, pimple-faced and slim, were also there, trying to hide a flask full of something in a backpack they'd brought in. One of the boys, this one with long hair that made him look ridiculous, was up next. He threw a light ball, and he didn't throw it very hard, but he did manage to keep it relatively straight. Five pins went down as the Sioux City Strangler watched, trying to flag down a waitress to get himself another J&B. As he finally caught one's attention, a tall redhead with red glasses, he saw the boy throw his second shot. He missed everything, but he didn't seem to care. He went and sat back down, reaching into the backpack for the flask. Back up at the line, the Sioux City Strangler threw another powerful shot. No strike, but a solid nine with just the 10 pins still standing. With a clean, smooth stroke, that pin two went down as the Sioux City Strangler picked up a spare in frame two. The game continued, the kids and the Sioux City Strangler giving each other looks and applause when somebody did something good. Mostly, it was the kids applauding when the stranger at lane 19 threw another strike. Finally, one of the boys leaned over the row of brown chairs that separated their lanes and spoke. Hey, mister, he said. Think you can buy us some beer or something? We've got money. You seem all right. The Sioux City Strangler frowned and put on an irritated face just to fuck with the kid. Hmm. How much money? I need a finder's fee. I'll pay for yours, said the kid. He'd only been messing around, but honestly, it sounded like a pretty good deal. Sure, he was a grown-up with a good job, but who was he to say no to a free beer? Sure, kid, he said. That seems fine by me. What do you want? Whatever you're having, said the kid. The long-haired boy just looked on, smiling a stupid little smile while the girls took their turns bowling. Oh, I'm not drinking that piss water they got around here, he said. But I'll tell you what, 
How about I get us a picture and you try to keep it discreet, huh? Sounds good, mister, said the long hair, finally working up the courage to open his mouth. All right, boys, I'll be right back. You get your money ready. You know they'll bring it to the lane, right? Said the more talkative of the pair. The Sioux City Strangler smiled, showing a little patience and self-restraint. Yes, I know, son, he said, but they're probably gonna think it's pretty weird for one guy to order a pitcher of beer just for himself, especially with a pack of thirsty-looking kids next to him. I don't really want to share one glass with a lot of you either. If I go over to the bar, I can get the pitcher and a few glasses and come right back. Nobody's gonna give a shit since I'm a grown-up and can buy beer, see? The two boys nodded in unison. Feeling generous, the Sioux City Strangler tapped the pack of cigarettes sitting on one of the empty chairs. You all feel free to have a smoke on me while I'm gone. He reached into the pack slowly and threw one up high in the air. The long-haired one snagged it mid-flight and effortlessly tossed it into his mouth. Not bad, thought the Sioux City Strangler. Maybe the long-haired freak isn't such a little shit after all. We'll be right back after this message from Green River Funeral Services. Loved ones in your life can't live forever. They can live on in your heart with dignity, though. At Green River Funeral Services, we can help you ensure that the last memory friends and family members make of the deceased is one of elegance and decorum. With deluxe packages that include a mahogany and brass casket, we offer full-service preparations that can't be matched in the funeral industry. We can even help you find a final resting place for your loved one in a hurry if you don't have a plot picked out and purchased now. Contact us online or call 413-555-0118 to get more information about our full list of services. The Sioux City Strangler ordered several pitchers of beer over the next hour, drinking a J&B on the rocks and Budweiser at the same time. As the kids got drunker, they got less observant and hardly hid the fact that they were drinking at all. To his surprise, the red-headed waitress never said anything. She didn't get paid enough to get into it with a bunch of teenagers. As the Sioux City Strangler rolled a strike for the last frame of his fifth game, he saw the teenagers putting on their coats and changing their shoes. It wasn't that late, but these were teenagers who probably had curfews, he thought. Drive safe, kids, he said, bending down to change back into his regular shoes. Oh, we don't have a car, said the girl with the braces. We're just going to walk. What? It's goddamn freezing out there. Are you insane? Said the Sioux City Strangler. Eh, we're used to it, said the other girl, a brunette, who now seemed a few years older than the first girl. Jesus, said the Sioux City Strangler. Okay, I'll tell you what. Do any of you live around here? We all do, said the kid with the long hair. He slurred his words a little now, clearly the most inebriated of the bunch. Get in my car, I'll drive you home. None of you live 20 miles from here or something, right? I'm a nice guy, but I'm not driving to Cedar Falls. No, that's okay, mister, said Braces. We will be fine. The boy with the buzz cut and the brown corduroy pants spoke up. Oh, come on, this guy's cool. He bought us beer all night. I'm tired of freezing my fucking ass off all winter. It's better than hitching, ain't it? The others didn't look so sure, but they acquiesced to buzz cut. He was clearly the ringleader of their little brain trust. See, you should listen to your friend, said the Sioux City Strangler. Why walk? Shit, it's probably snowing out there already. It turned out that it hadn't been snowing, but a light rain was coming down. In the car, the Sioux City Strangler and the kids heard the weather report on the FM radio. It's gonna be a cold one out there tonight, so bundle up and light a fire. Maybe sip a little bit of that eggnog if you've already got it ready. 
An extra shot of rum won't hurt anybody on this cold December 22nd. Hey, it's almost Christmas anyway, right? The signal faded into static and the radio man's voice was lost. It had been decided that the long-haired one would get dropped off first since he lived the furthest away from the bowling alley. He got out and banged hard on the door. A woman in a bathrobe let him in and flipped off all the lights, the house going dark as the Sioux City Strangler's Pontiac pulled away. He made the rounds, driving slowly since he was pretty drunk himself, dropping each kid off at home until it was just him and the girl with the braces. She moved up to the front seat and took the cigarette the Sioux City Strangler lit and offered her. You want to play the radio? he asked. Um, okay, she said. But I don't live that far from here. Never a bad time for music, he said, turning the volume up high. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John fought through the static as they drove down the dark, still street. The rain was coming down a little harder now. The Sioux City Strangler and the girl drove without talking for several minutes. He could see her tapping her leg to the beat of the music. You like this song? he asked. It's okay, she said in the way teenagers say that just about everything is okay. It's not bad, huh? She just shrugged and took a drag off the cigarette he'd given her. It's a ride in two blocks, she said, looking through the wet window at the empty street. The Sioux City Strangler didn't respond, lighting a cigarette of his own instead, turning up the radio just a little higher. Yeah, not bad, he said, tapping his fingers on the steering wheel. Two blocks came and went, and the Sioux City Strangler was still driving straight, picking up speed now. In a mile, he'd turn left and keep going until he hit the road that led to the Lighthouse Inn. Sherry would be waiting for them. You missed the turn, said the girl, no longer smoking the cigarette. The Sioux City Strangler didn't respond. Mister, you missed the turn, she said, this time louder so she could be sure he'd hear her over the music. The girl was getting anxious and moving around in her seat, twisting the lap belt with her left hand. The Sioux City Strangler didn't say a word. My mom is going to be pissed. I have to get home. The Sioux City Strangler wondered if she realized she was in danger, but kept driving anyway. He did slow down, though, worried the girl might freak out and try to bolt or do something that would make him lose control of the car. Seriously, mister, you seem real nice and all, and I wouldn't mind getting together sometime. I like older guys, I really do. I just gotta get home right now. Maybe we can go bowling after Christmas, just you and me, if you're into that idea, she said, forcing a smile that not even a blind man would believe. Yeah, she knows she's in danger, thought the Sioux City Strangler. He hid a satisfied smile from his unwilling passenger. My mom is going to beat the shit out of me if I'm even a minute late. Please, mister, just take me home. We can make a date. Slowing down, he pulled over to the side of the road and put his machine into park. Did I miss the turn? He asked. I thought you said it was a right in two miles. No, I said a right in two blocks. That was forever ago. Can you just turn around? The Sioux City Strangler lit a cigarette and made a wide U-turn. There was no traffic to be found. Now, going in the right direction, the girl with the braces relaxed a little. My mom is a piece of shit, too, he said. He offered her another cigarette, but she declined. What about your father, he asked. I don't know. Gone somewhere. Piece of shit, she said. Yeah, I have one of those, too, said the Sioux City Strangler. 
He turned the radio off now, and they drove in silence. Can I walk you to your door? He asked, now parked in front of the girl's house. At this moment, he felt the need to cover his tracks and make the girl think he was just an old creep that was into high schoolers. Shit, it happened, he thought. Being a fucking weirdo wasn't a crime. Better than the girl thinking he was what he was and telling her mom about the man in the Pontiac she'd met at the bowling alley. Uh, well, I... I mean, I have a key, she said. I guess you can. The Sioux City Strangler took a drag off his cigarette. No, that's okay then. If you have a key, I'll just stay here. He thought he saw the girl breathe a sigh of relief. But hey, how about giving me your phone number so I can call you to make that date? She paused, of course, but relented. He took the pad from his glove box and wrote down a number. She told him not to call after 11 or her mom would be pissed. Okay, no problem. I normally go to bed real early anyway, he said. She smiled an uncomfortable smile and started to get out of the car. He put a firm hand on her shoulder, applying a little pressure. I didn't get your name. Oh, um, it's, uh, Sarah. Okay, Sarah, he said. And what's your last name? Small, like little, she said, out of habit. Got it, he said. Have a good night. Talk soon. She smiled one more time, this time with a little more sincerity. She was halfway out of the car and almost safe. As Sarah Small walked up the long walkway to her front door, the Sioux City Strangler wrote down her house number on the pad. He ripped out the page and clutched it tight in his fist as he drove his Pontiac away from her house. For nearly an hour, he drove, passing his motel several times without stopping. He tried the radio, but it didn't offer the relief he was looking for. With only the roar of his machine's engine as accompaniment, the Sioux City Strangler started thinking, his heart rate ticking up rapidly as he drove and drove and drove. She'd seen his face and seen his car. She'd tell her friends about the weird stuff he'd pulled, about how he'd gone the wrong way out toward the middle of nowhere despite her clear directions. She might tell her mother, and her mother might tell a meddling cop who just might look into it. The Sioux City Strangler pulled into a gas station, but he didn't stop for coffee or get out to pump gas. He turned around and got back out on the street, this time going in the direction of the girl's house once more. When he parked his Pontiac across the street and a few houses south, all of the lights were off. He thought of just going back home, stopping by the motel to get his stuff and driving all night. He'd be home before the sun came up. As he turned the key to start his machine, he had a vision of Maria in that black dress and the spaghetti dinner and their time on the sofa watching The Misfits. He thought of Christmas movies and another night in her apartment, the painting of Teddy the dog flashing in his mind. He turned the key again and the engine fell silent. A car's headlights came into view and he ducked down to avoid being seen. The piece of paper with Sarah's phone number, name, and address fell from his hand, making its way just under the seat. The Sioux City Strangler sat quietly, smoking cigarettes and listening to the radio so low he could barely hear it. As the minutes turned into hours, he devised a plan. At 3.17 a.m., he opened the driver's side door and stepped out of the car onto the wet ground. He closed the car door gently, not even sure it had latched. He counted 76 steps to the front door, all of which he took slowly to keep from making any unnecessary sound. With his fingertips, he tapped hard on the glass pane inserted right in the center of the front door. He tapped again, then finally knocked with his knuckles. 
A hard rain was coming down and not a single light was on in any of the houses on the street. One more knock was all it took for a flash of light to come through that pane of glass. The Sioux City Strangler stood to the side of the door and looked in. He didn't know whether it was the girl or her mom, but he could see that whoever it was was moving toward the door. He heard the lock turn and the door opened just enough for a woman's hands to fit through. She clutched the side of the door. Yeah, do you know what time it is? The voice belonged to a grown woman, not the teenage girl that had been in the Sioux City Strangler's car just a few hours ago. Police, said the Sioux City Strangler. We've got a report in the neighborhood. The door jumped open and light flooded the doorstep. The woman scanned the man standing in front of her. He wasn't wearing a uniform and he was soaking wet. There was no police car on the sidewalk. By the time she tried to close the door, it was already too late. Sioux City Strangler, the podcast, is a Past Due production and was recorded in sunny Los Angeles, California at Past Due Studios. This episode was written by Christopher Chase Godwin. Theme music was written and performed by Michael Wegner. Additional music was written and performed by Michael Wegner and Christopher Chase Godwin. Dialogue editing services were provided by Janet Berry. Additional editing by Carl Weiss at Past Due Studios. Mixing by Tommy Singh. Audio mastering provided by Renee Rojas. Learn more about the Sioux City Strangler by visiting SiouxCityStrangler.com and WeArePastDue.com now. You can also join the Sioux City Strangler fan club to get exclusive updates and access to limited edition merch. As a new fan club member, you'll receive a coupon code for 15% off your first order. This week, we need to thank our sponsors, Whitewood Tactical Clothing and Hunting Apparel and Green River Funeral Services. Use code SCS to get 10% off on your first order. Subscribe wherever you're listening now to get the next episode delivered to you as soon as it's available. You won't want to miss the season one finale of Sioux City Strangler, the podcast, coming soon.